0: Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Here's your host,
1: Bill Goodman. Welcome to the Think Humanities podcast. George Herring is our guest today. He is the alumni professor of history emeritus at the University of Kentucky. He's a native of Virginia, Served in the United States Navy and received his doctorate from the University of Virginia. At the University of Kentucky, he taught classes at all levels during his time there. He's a specialist in the history of U.S. foreign relations, and his writing has focused on the Vietnam War. He is also the author of several books, and we're proud to say that he is a longtime member of the Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau and qualified to talk uh, about most anything uh, in history from the Vietnam War to a talk that he titles Abe Lincoln, Diplomat. Uh, George, it's uh, good to uh, uh, talk with you again, and maybe that's a good place to start with, uh, with Abraham Lincoln and all the way through the leaders of our nation during... Episodes like we're having right now, this pandemic, but there have been other catastrophic events in the history of the United States of America. Let me first of all just ask you about your thoughts uh, about this moment that we're in.
0: Well, Bill, it's uh, nice to be here. Thank you
1: for having me again. Uh,
0: this is—I've been uh, around here eighty-some years, and there's been nothing like this, and looking back in history it's it's hard to find a real parallel uh it's a double whammy if you will of a a horrendous public health crisis uh and an economic crisis to go uh, along with this Uh, there's some rough comparisons with the spanish flu uh, back in 1918, there was a triple whammy there. Actually, if that's the, if that's the workable word, a triple whammy of uh, uh, the flu, World War One, what they called the Great War at that time, and then in 1919, a recession on top of it. But uh, I don't think even that compares with uh, with what we've got today. This is uh, uh, sui generis, unique, uh, whatever you want to call it.
1: In your study of uh, history and your study of uh, the men and women who have led us uh, through a, uh, uh, an event such as this um, and have led us uh, on the other side of events that have not only affected uh, those in the United States, but in the world, what, uh, what can you tell us about uh, what this moment says about leadership, and about history.
0: Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's from my perspective, and
1: I know a lot of people don't share
0: it, uh, is not a happy story. Uh, uh we like to think to situations like Franklin Roosevelt and the Depression. Uh, uh, we like to think of Abe Lincoln in the, the Civil War. Uh, we, we think of leadership in terms of someone who, uh, is is uh, up to the challenges of the moment. Who consults experts? Who uh, thinks more about uh, the people who are being hurt by the crisis than his or her own political uh, electoral concerns? Uh, so I I uh, I would <laughs> I would much prefer to look at history here than to look at the uh, at the moment we're in. Uh, FDR is one of my favorites. Uh, he's enigmatic, he's hard to pin down, uh, but his leadership, beginning in 1933, through to the, the Great Depression and World War II, uh, un, unparalleled, unequal for one person handling two events of that magnitude. Uh, he's sort of a model of what we look to, although He's a unique personality and and really can't be
1: met. Tell us more about um, about FDR and what uh, he found when he uh, entered the the presidency. What what had he been left from um, from uh, the 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 leadership in the White House uh, just before uh, he took office?
0: Uh, he takes office in uh, in March. The president didn't take office until March in those days. He took office in March of 1933, and when he did, there was 25% unemployment. Uh, most banks were closed down. Farmers were plowing up crops that they couldn't uh, market. That sounds familiar. That's happening today, too. Uh, Long lines of people waiting for handouts and food, uh, allies defaulting on war debts, uh, gross inequality in terms of income and pay, huge gap between rich and poor. The economy really had come to a standstill when he took office, and uh, uh, he he came in with the attitude of we're going to experiment, we're going to do different things, Uh, but also with the attitude of of trying to help uh, all, as many people as he could in the process of this, uh, and part of it is part of it is the persona. Part of it is what he what he shows as a leader. Uh, you can you can almost visualize it: that strong jaw, the tilt of the chin, the cigarette holder popped up in his mouth. Uh, his rhetoric, uh, the saying, uh, the only thing we have to fear itself is probably not true, <laughs> but it sounded to a nation that was afraid. They were very afraid uh, in 1933. Those words uh, resonated in a way nothing else could. I think the fact that he had had his own personal crisis with polio and had come back from that to assume an active life in in politics again. I think that resonated with people. It showed a lot of courage on his part. Uh, and the confidence that he exuded, uh, that, uh, that I think uh, marks the beginning of his leadership. And of course, as it goes on, he he revolutionizes the uh, American economy. There's nothing short of that.
1: What prepared FDR for the moment that he inherited?
0: Excellent question. Uh, I think he was born. I think he was born to the task. His generation. He grew up in the uh, aristocracy along the Hudson River, and I think his generation. It was inculcated in them that they had a a sort of natural born obligation to lead, and that they had the uh, they had what it took to lead. And I think he, he carried that throughout his life. But I think what's really the turning point in FDR's life, and it's ironic, I guess, in some ways, uh, curious, what really changes him from a very smart, very personal, quite charming uh, Harvard graduate, uh, Wilson's assistant secretary of state, what makes him... The leader that he becomes is the experience with polio. Uh it's something that makes him more reflective, it's something that makes him more uh empathetic with other people, and that's empathy is one of the big parts of his leadership. Uh so uh most of the people who have written about him i have seen that, that uh episode as a turning point and making him uh The leader that he always had the potential for, but maybe didn't have the will to have.
1: George, let's go back and look at the Spanish flu of 1918, and what you can tell us about that historical significance.
0: Yeah, some very interesting, uh, very interesting parallels there. But in its in its statistics, it uh, you know it's not unlike what we're facing today. One third of the world's population was infected. That's a stunning number. Uh, Fifty million dead, about the same number as were killed in World War One, the Great War, they called it then, which was going on uh simultaneously. Uh among Americans the numbers uh were roughly uh the same number as those who were killed in uh in the war. Uh, of 675,000 deaths in the United States for a population which at the time was much, much smaller. Interestingly, the highest death rate was for infants, people younger than six, people in their 20s to 40s, uh, and then people over uh, the age of 65. So it it took a toll uh, all over the world how exactly how it started, nobody is, is exactly sure. There is speculation that American troops may have taken it to Europe, uh, with them. Uh, and it's, uh, pretty certain that the troops coming back from Europe after the armistice in 1918, uh, brought it back to the United States. Um, was called the Spanish flu uh, for a rather odd reason and that Spain was a neutral in World War One, and the only uh, government that wasn't imposing heavy censorship at that time. So the first cases reported come from Spain, although uh, the disease has actually been in other countries uh, by that time. The one thing that's kind of fascinating is uh, there was a huge difference in terms of municipalities and states and how the disease, what sort of impact the disease had. Uh, in Philadelphia, virtually nothing was done to, uh, to sort of slow or check the disease. In St. Louis, they took rigorous measures not unlike what we're doing today, separation, isolation. Uh, quarantine, that sort of thing. So St. Louis had relatively few cases, whereas Philadelphia, which did very little, uh, had a, a, a great many cases. So there are a lot of similarities. Uh, I was curious, thinking about it this morning, about whether they ever developed a vaccine, uh, and the answer is that they did not. They tried many things. They thought they were dealing with bacteria at first, uh, and only belatedly was it clear they were dealing with a virus, for uh, which most of the things they were trying uh, wouldn't work. In the United States, um, the uh, it was uh, also the war com- going along at the same time. You can imagine the, uh, the whammy there, the war at the same time, and then a recession later. But things didn't happen simultaneously like they are now. Uh, The other scary thing about 1918 is that there's the first wave uh, in the spring and then there's a lapse in the summer and people get the idea that uh, maybe this is the end of it. And then there is a huge wave in the fall, particularly when the troops come back to Europe. And that's what many people have cited when they warn of the same thing happening here uh, uh, in the fall.
1: So, George, the Philadelphia St. Louis connection that we hear Governor Bashir talk about uh, is taken from those two cities and how they reacted to the Spanish flu?
0: That's something that I don't really have an answer to. My sense from, from what I have seen uh, is that the national leadership was not involved uh, to the certainly to the extent it isn't today. And maybe that had something to do with the way society operated at the time. Uh, uh, Different sort of media. uh, uh, Society was much more spread out. It was not as close in terms of uh, uh, the web, in terms of television, not even radio by this time. So my sense, and I'm not an expert on this part, but my sense is that What work was done in terms of trying to deal with it was done largely on the local level uh, without much uh, direction or interference from the federal government or the state government. We didn't have the federal bureaucracies operating at that time
1: to deal with it, too. Give us another example of um, going beyond the Depression um, into uh, the... uh latter part of the 30s 40s 50s and on beyond uh, you're such an expert in in the the Vietnam era uh, give us another example of how uh, leadership either led or failed uh, our uh, government as well as uh, the people of the United states
0: uh, well in terms of Vietnam what you 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 don't have I think a single crisis, what you have are a series of decisions made by people like John Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, Richard Nixon, uh, all decisions to escalate the war, all of which I am hate to say, all of which were influenced heavily, if not decisively, uh, by the... Uh, by the electoral calendar and by concerns about being viewed as as weak, which uh, would, have a, a dip, it would have a blowback in, uh, both politically at home and perhaps in the world at large. So there isn't this sort of crisis. A good one to look at is the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is very different from the others. Uh, uh, This is one that happens within the scope of 13 days, less than two weeks, although the buildup obviously takes some time before that. Uh, But it was a crisis, and it's a crisis that in its own moment doesn't affect anybody's life in the United States or the Soviet Union directly. But it was a crisis that people knew, and I remember this very vividly. I was a graduate student in Charlottesville, two hours south of Washington at the time. It was a crisis that people knew a single misstep uh, could have been disastrous. Certainly, it was the closest the world came uh, to nuclear war. And Kennedy, I think, has been singled out, praised here for his coolness under fire, the steady and firm management of a crisis that uh, was potentially uh, catastrophic. I would qualify that at least a little bit, but there's an old saying that it's better to avoid a crisis than to manage it well. And I think Kennedy clearly deserves some of the blame for this crisis happening in the first place. He authorized, after all, the Bay of Pigs invasion in 1961. Uh, Following that disaster, he uh, authorized something called Operation Mongoose, which uh, was a fairly extensive effort to undermine Cuba economically and even to assassinate Fidel Castro. Uh, but once he learned that the Soviets were sending missiles to Cuba and they might soon be operational, uh, Kennedy managed this crisis with a uh, with a firm and uh, and steady hand. Uh, and I can't say they were all calm at the time because when you when you talk to people uh, like Robert McNamara who were there, uh, it's quite clear that they realized how serious the situation is uh, at times they were they were not only nervous but probably on the verge of being uh, frantic but Kennedy did keep a cool head during the process so the one thing he he had advisors on two different sides, one was saying, Well, we we'll just let this go. we're partly responsible for this, and let's just let it go, and we can live with Uh, What's the difference between missiles in Cuba and missiles further away? Uh, Others, including the Joint Chiefs of Staff and some civilian advisors, uh, advocated invading Cuba, smack off and uh, overthrowing Castro and removing the missiles. Uh, What Kennedy did was he chose a a middle ground between invasion and acquiescence, which involved a quarantine of Cuba to make sure that no additional missiles got in. Quarantine is an interesting word. We hear a lot about it today. Uh, what he also did, uh, very clever, Khrushchev came back with, with a uh, proposal which seemed uh, acceptable, and then... Hours later, Khrushchev came back with another proposal, counterproposal, which was not acceptable at all. And what Kennedy and his top advisors, mainly Bobby Kennedy, very cleverly did was to go back to the first proposal and accept it and ignore uh, the less acceptable. And then they worked out quietly behind the scenes a deal that neither of them ever admitted till many years later. But uh, at the end, but it was very close because uh, what we didn't realize at the time was the Soviets had a large number of troops in Cuba. They had tactical nuclear weapons. Uh, they had the authority to use these weapons on their own without permission from Moscow. We were prepared to invade on a fixed day, and it was only hours before that day that all this was dropped. So it was it was touch and go. Uh,
1: George. Um so in times uh, that you've described to us today uh, through the Spanish flu the depression uh and into the Cuban missile crisis what does this tell you in your your long life of of study and research and teaching about leadership in a time of of peril and unknowing
0: Well I think uh the things looking at FDR and uh, JFK, uh, the things that stand out are, uh, with FDR and the depression, especially, an ability to empathize with the people who are being uh, most affected by this, an ability to put the national needs and the needs of the population above your own uh, uh Political or personal uh, concerns or considerations, uh, an ability to first find experts, second uh, listen to them, and third choose between what their what proposals are being offered. I think was uh, vital to both Kennedy and uh, and FDR in terms of the programs they developed, and in Kennedy's case, the decisions he made. Their their, uh, uh, honesty and candor when you can be candid with uh, the population, tell it like it is. Obviously, there are cases where uh, things may, uh, uh, the situation may require some things being kept secret. Uh, Calmness and steadiness, Uh, the ability to inspire and persuade people to follow you. I think these are just some of the things that, uh, that mark great leadership in times of crisis.
1: George, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, today on Think Humanities podcast for a, uh, a history lesson on some of the, uh, uh the, the marks, uh, that you have studied and researched all through your career. We, we thank you for joining us, uh, and we wish you well and, uh, We hope you're staying safe and uh, healthy at home.
0: Doing my best, Bill, and thank you. It's always a pleasure. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.